Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Well, we started a series last week called Courageous. It is a series for those who are facing challenges where the odds seem stacked against you. It is a series for those who are in a fight and maybe uh, you're tired but you're still swinging. It's a series for those who find themselves facing an obstacle that stands between you and the future that God has for you. Last week we looked at uh, a, a fairly unknown character in the Old Testament. His name is Benaiah. But I had a reputation of being a great warrior, and one of his greatest acts was uh, when he confronted a lion and chased it, trapped it in a pit, and then killed the lion. We asked last week, who does that? Because ordinary people do not chase lions. Ordinary uh, people do not uh, provoke an opponent that can kill them. Ordinary people do not confront an obstacle that can crush them. Ordinary people do not embrace a challenge that can ruin them. And maybe that's why ordinary people die with so much regret. And I asked you last night, what is the lion in your life? What is the challenge that you need to chase, trap, and destroy? What is it that stands between you and the future that God wants you to step into? What is keeping you from moving forward? What if your greatest blessing lies behind your greatest obstacle? What if your future hides behind your greatest fear? What if our, as a church, greatest blessing lies behind our greatest obstacle? We have an obstacle in front of us now. As many of you know, we're trying to get a permanent space over at Dysart and uh, Greenway. And this is our lion. It is what... Uh, stands before us. And uh, with this lion, with this obstacle, there comes a little bit of fear. And in my own uh, being, uh, about a week and a half ago, it just kind of smothered me all of a sudden. This, these thoughts of uh, uh, this obstacle's too big, and the church is too small, or this challenge is going to ruin us, or the church won't follow, or, 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 or you, know, you just, just play it safe and stay where you're at, and then just die with regret. And for us, as a church, we should never allow our greatest regret to be the lions that we refuse to hunt. And for your life personally, for my life personally, we should not allow our greatest regret to be the lion that we would not hunt. Mark Batterson, in his book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, says this, that lion chasers are more afraid of lifelong regret than temporary uncertainty. They don't want to get to the end of their lives and have a million what-if regrets, so they chase lions. In the short term, it increases uncertainty, but in the long run, it reduces regret. Today, I don't want to talk to you about lions. I want to talk about flames. I want to talk today about those who need courage because you're walking through the fire. I want to talk to those who are in a season of life that is heating up. And maybe you thought that last year was rough, but last year you realized you were just in the frying pan and now you are in the midst of the fire. Maybe, maybe you're in a season where the heat is slowly being turned up or 
And it's smothering and it's suffocating and stifling and the flames are licking at your heels. And How do you respond when your faith is tested? How do you respond when life heats up? We're going to look at some characters in the Bible to see how they handled the heat. And before we move on, I'd like us to just kind of meditate on this passage in silence. We'll put it on the screen. It's found in Isaiah Where it says, when you go through deep waters, this is God speaking to us, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Someone needs to hear that passage, and more than just hear it, it needs to be quickened to your spirit. And so if we would just take a few moments to maybe meditate on this, to think on it, to pray to God, to, to, to quicken it to us. And praying is just communicating to God. It doesn't need to be anything uh, overly spiritual with these and thous, just how you would communicate to someone. So if we would just take a moment, and Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you quicken this word to us? Today I pray, Lord, for those who find themselves in the fire and would the truth of your promise surround them and blanket them. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up and the flames will not consume you. In Jesus' name, amen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a famous children's story that's often told in Sunday schools. There are three men who found themselves in a fight for their future. Three men who found themselves for, uh, in a fight for their heritage. They were in a fight for their faith. And really, they were in a fight for their very lives. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of uh, Babylon at that point. He was a uh, king from uh, 605 BC to somewhere around 562. And he is considered the greatest king of the Babylonian Empire. He is credited with the construction of uh, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Uh, he is, uh, w- well, understand that when we read about characters such as Nebuchadnezzar throughout the Bible, this is not a made up character that secular history has no account for. Secular history speaks of him as well, right? Uh, So we're not just talking about fantasy here. And so Nebuchadnezzar was uh, mentioned uh, some 70 or 90 times throughout the biblical text. He's given credit for one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of of Babylon. Secular history records Nebuchadnezzar as being a brutal, brutal, powerful, and ambitious king. And the Bible, for the most part, it agrees with that assessment. When Nebuchadnezzar's war machine rolled through Judah in 597 BC, he gave the orders to bring back the best and the brightest of the Jewish community. He gave the orders to bring back the intellectually uh, intellectually elite and those of noble birth. He gave the orders to bring back the, the, the best looking and then to assimilate them into their pagan culture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were on the draft list first round. And so 
they were brought to be engrafted into this new culture. And to begin the assimilation process, the first thing that they did was they changed their name. Now, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that was not their given names. Their given names reflected their faith. It reflected their culture. It reflected the God, Yahweh, that they served. So Tehananiah was their Hebrew name, which means God is gracious. They gave the name Shadrach, which means command of a coup. A coup was one of the Babylonian uh, gods, the god of the moon. And to uh, Misha, uh, who means who is like God, they gave the name Meshach, which means who is what a coup is. They were changing their names from their Hebrew God into their Babylonian, their, their, their pagan gods. Azariah, which means God has helped, they gave the name Abednego, which, uh, which means the servant of Nebu, who was uh, the Babylonian god of wisdom. Changing their given Hebrew names was a way of stripping them of their identity. It was part of getting them to assimilate into a new culture. It was a way of stripping them of their identity as children or people of God. And and what they were saying is that every time we call you by your new name, we do not want you to think about who you were, but we want you to think about who we are creating you to be or who we want you to be. Have you ever been called something long enough that eventually you just began to believe it? Have you ever had a name spoken over you long enough that eventually you began to answer to that name? And this is what is taking place here. And this is how our spiritual enemy, Satan, works today. That he changes what God calls you, what God calls us, in hopes that after hearing the name long enough, you and I begin to answer to it. And so over us he speaks the name of defeated And over you and over myself, he speaks the name of failure and the name of rejected and the name of weak and the name of hopeless and unloved and forgotten and afraid. And he speaks over you a new name, a name of divorced. And he speaks over you the name depressed in hopes that when you hear it long enough, you associate it as your identity. But what Nebuchadnezzar couldn't account for was was that he kept calling and these boys weren't listening. Matter of fact, it says that they were so against the culture that they would not eat the king's food nor drink the king's drink. So in a very real sense, they were saying, look, you can bring us into Babylon, but you cannot make us embrace your culture. You can can call us by whatever name you want, but you cannot erase the name that has been firmly rooted upon our hearts. There was an identity crisis that was going on, and what King Nebuchadnezzar could not account for was that these boys were firmly rooted in their belief, in their faithfulness to God. Maybe today is the day that you hear God speak His name over you. Maybe today is the day that you hear God speak the name of overcomer over you, or the name of righteous, or victorious, or the name delivered, or favored, or blessed. Or let today be the day that you hear God speak over you, son of God, or daughter of God, that you would have today would would be the day that God speaks His truth over you. Because we cannot keep the enemy from speaking, but that doesn't mean that we have to listen. So we jump into the story in Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn or the flute or the uh, zither or the lyre or the harp or the pipes or other musical instruments, 
bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone, hear this, anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. How do you respond when your faith is challenged and you need to be courageous? How do you respond when life heats up? Here's how most people responded. It said, so at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever the race or language, they bowed to the ground and they worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And that's what most would do. That when pushed and when challenged and, and when facing an obstacle, that can ruin you. We, we submit and we give in. And yet there were three, well, four, including Daniel, although he's not named in this particular story. But there, there were these three that refused to submit and give in. We pick up in verse 13 or verse 9. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, these are some of his leaders who found out about the three that weren't worshiping. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring that all people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, uh, and, and the other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They've already kind of risen in the ranks. But they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come to him. Hey, what do you do? What do I do when the temperature is turned up and when we're confronted with what seems like an immovable obstacle and when the odds are not in your favor? How do you respond to a challenge that has the potential to ruin you? The faith of three young men is about to be tested and our first thought today is that a faith that is tested by fire is a faith that can be trusted. Let's look at their courage. We're going to pick out three points to their story that we can apply to our lives. The first is this thought, is decide today who you follow. Daniel 3, verse 15. I will give you one more chance. So King Nebi, he kind of calls them in. He says, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And it gets this, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Have you ever heard the whispers in your head that says things like, even God can't help you now? Or you are left on your own, or no one can save you now? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. In other words, it's like, look, there's really nothing that needs to be said. Now, I think maybe we miss a little bit of their response because I wonder if there's a little bit more attitude of, of Nebuchadnezzar came to them and said, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And they were like, <laughs> oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we really don't have to defend ourselves before you. In other words, what they were saying is, look, there's really nothing to even be said. There's really nothing to even discuss. This isn't even open to debate. Have you ever had an argument with your older children? Now, uh, my children are great debaters. And sometimes they're so good that they make you forget your position. 
And, 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 but there comes a time that in some debates where I have this phrase where I say, this is not even open for discussion. And you can just kind of see the air being sucked out of them because they know this is dad saying, look at, there is no chance that I'm bending on this. This is not even open for debate. And it shuts down the conversation. They get angry, but it shuts down the conversation. I wonder if this is what this moment was like, where they were saying, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, this isn't even open for discussion. doesn't matter what threat, what you say, what you do, this is not open for debate, so save your breath. Here's what I love about these three young men. Long before Nebi's war machine rolled through Judea, and long before an entire people were taken captive, And long before Neb made this statue, and long before the decree was given, and long before the threat was made, and long before the ultimatum, and long before the fire was being stoked, and long before death was at play, they decided who they're following. And they gave this response like, there's nothing we even have to say. See, long before you ever rolled through our land and long before you ever gave this this decree, we've already decided who we follow and who we're faithful to. So now when we're faced with the challenge or faced with the flames, our decision is pretty easy. Long before we've made a decision to honor God in everything, whatever the season, whatever the temperature, whatever the obstacle, whatever the challenge, whatever the outcome, even if it involves a furnace. Today, what is your furnace? What is it in your faith where you kind of say, that's too far? What what is it that challenges your faith where you say, God, you're asking too much, or this is making me uncomfortable, or or, this is getting too hot, and so I'm pulling back? Can, Can I plead with us that we decide today who it is that we follow? Because if you wait until the challenge stands before you, you will falter. If you would make a decision today that really there are no other options but following Jesus, that is a courageous faith. But that has to be decided before the challenge comes because when the challenge comes, fear has a way of of, of surrounding us and our feet falter. Have you decided in your Christian faith and your pursuit of God and your life as a believer that there are no other options but Him? Because notice what they didn't say. They, they didn't say, hey, hey, King, let's not get crazy now, all right? Or can you give us a minute to think about this? Or, or can we phone a friend? Do we have a lifeline? Can, I, can you give us a day to talk to our spiritual counsel? Or, or can we fire up the church prayer chain? Well, fire is probably not the best word, King. But can you just give us a little bit of time? If, if we could get a pen and paper, we're going to make a list of our pros and our cons to see. But they did none of that. Their response was, we don't even need to discuss this with you anymore. Make your decision. Our decision was made long before we stood before you. What is your furnace? I think there are times in life where the cons seem to be a never-ending supply and the only thing that is on the pro side is faith and obedience. How do we respond when the cons are stacked against you, when the odds are stacked against you? Here's the second thing I see in their story is that faith trumps facts. 
Now, before you start giving me emails about subliminal messages, I'm telling you that to go to that next slide, that, that Trump is just, that's the word. I'm not, I'm not trying to push anything. I, I swear to you. All right? It just, the word fits. I've played with like four different words just because I thought someone's going to send me an email. Faith, Clinton's facts. There, now I'm an equal opportunity offender. No one can be mad at me. Now, this is important. We need to believe God's truth in spite of facts. We're going to unpack that a little bit. Verse 17, it says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. Now notice they're saying, who will rescue us? The God we serve. In other words, they're saying, the God in whom we have placed our faith, we believe, will protect us and will rescue us. Here's what they're saying. The God we serve, even though is unseen, is greater than the facts that we do see. What were the facts in this story? The fact was that the king said to bow down. It was a fact. They didn't do it. It was a fact. The king was angry. Fact. The king had the power of life and death. It was fact. The king was building a bonfire. Fact. The fire was hot. Fact. All that went into the fire previously did not come out of live. That was fact. The king was about to throw them in the fire. Fact. The God we serve is able. Faith. Facts do not always control our decisions. Now, I am not telling you to ignore facts and be foolish. Because I believe God speaks through facts and he speaks through circumstances. But facts are not what controls a man or woman of faith. That we have faith and confidence in that which is unseen. Ultimately, our hope does not rest in our circumstances. It rests in our faith in the one who is able. Here's our last point that I want to rest on uh, just for a little bit today. We believe God rather than believe in God. There's an important difference because the Bible tells us that even the, the demons believe in God and yet there's nothing going on in them. We believe God as opposed to just believing in God. It would be as if my wife comes to me and she says, Marty, I love you. And I respond with, whatever. And she's like, what do you mean, whatever? I said, I love you. And I'm like, whatever, I guess. And she would say, do you believe me? And I would say, I believe in you. I, I, I believe in you. I believe that you're my wife. I believe you're the mother of my children. I believe that you're here. You're present right now. I believe that you're good and you're a kind person. And eventually she would say, no, no, no. But do you believe me? And I would respond, I believe in you. There is a vast difference between the two. See, this idea of believing in God seems to mean that one basically believes in the concept of God, that we believe in a higher power or a supreme being or maybe even that God is good and kind. But listen, listen, you can believe in God and yet not follow God. Meet the Christian atheist. We know what an atheist is. It is the belief that there is no God, the disbelief in the existence of a supreme being. But there's another kind of atheist and it is the Christian atheist. A Christian atheist is, is someone who believes in God but lives like he doesn't exist. One's belief in God but lives like he doesn't exist. And we all have a little Christian atheist in us. That I believe in God but I, I manage my money like God doesn't exist. 
I believe in God, but in my morality, I live like God doesn't exist. I believe in God, but I worry and I'm anxious like God doesn't exist. That I believe in him, but I live as if there is no God. It is the Christian atheist. That our belief in God never moves us beyond this concept of belief. That his truth has no power or no effect in our lives. That he never shapes or, or, or gives us vision. That he does not alter the trajectory of our lives. That he does not comfort or console. That our belief does not draw us into prayer or into worship. That, that, that I believe in God but living as if God does not exist. And I wonder which is more dangerous. To believe there is no God or to confess that there is a God, but then to ignore him and to live as if there is no God. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not just believe in God, but they actually believed God enough to put it all on the line. And listen to what they say. Hey, King, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. In other words, this, this, look at this idea, but even if he doesn't, that, that, that little phrase, but even if he doesn't. We talked last week that, that when you go into your battles, that there will be times that you're not guaranteed victory every time you battle. That there will be times that you will confront your lion and your lion will get a few licks in on you. Now we are assured victory at, at some point over all things, but right now we live in that tension. And I love their, their, their explanation here that look, we believe that the God we serve is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, it changes nothing. Even if he doesn't. In other words, we don't believe in God only when he comes through for us, but we believe in God even when the circumstances seems like God has taken his hand off of the situation because we don't see the big picture. Even if he doesn't. Even if God doesn't do that which we know he can do and that which we're praying for him to do and that which we think he will do, but even if he doesn't, we believe. That is courageous faith. Do you have even if faith? Today, can you say that even if I lose my job, I believe? Even if we're praying for our kids to come back to the faith and they just keep wandering even further away, even if my finances are tighter, even if I'm sick or I remain sick, even if I don't get the promotion, even if the one that I love decided that forever is too long, or even if someone who calls themselves a Christian hurts me in the worst possible way, even if my feet are planted. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, we believe not in God, but we believe God. We hope in that which we cannot see. We believe in that which we cannot touch. We believe he will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, the option of turning against him, turning away from him, is off the table. Look at what uh, the king says. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. 
Any guys married and ever seen that? Never mind. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that at stand tomorrow. His phrase became distorted with rage. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. It's like turning the amp up to 11. He's like, it's not hot enough. Get it even hotter. And it even said that the guards that were throwing people in, that the flames killed them. It was that hot. Now, so they, they, they take him, they throw him into the furnace. And look at what verse 24 says. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement and exclaims to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound and walking about in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Some translations say the son of God, and there's debate whether or not this was an angel, an angelic being, or or whether this was the pre-incarnate Christ that was appearing. And to me, it doesn't even necessarily matter. What matters is that the presence of God was with them when the flames were the hottest. And I like how it says that they were walking around. It's just kind of like there was this casualness about them, like, wow, this is crazy. Like, the guys are not going to believe what's happening right now. And they're walking around and and then the presence of God is with them when life was at its hottest. The point is that we may never know how good the presence of God is until we're in the middle of the flames. Verse 27, then the high officers and the officials and the governors and the advisors crowded around them and they saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched and they didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, listen to, listen to this turn around, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes you just know when you're licked, right? He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him and they defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their God. And here's our, what I leave you with. Daniel 29 30. Therefore, the king says, I make a decree if any people, whatever the race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's like, hey, he's converted. I will be torn from limb to limb. All right, not exactly converted. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God that can rescue like this. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher position in the province of Babylon. What if your greatest blessing hides behind your greatest fear? And what if your future hides behind your greatest obstacle? And would it never be that your greatest regret is the lion that you refuse to chase or your greatest regret to be the flame that you refuse to walk through because it was too hot and you peace out and you walk the other way? Because sometimes we don't know how good the presence of God can be until we're in the hottest parts of life. Let's go back to the passage we started with. When you go through deep waters... I will be with you. And when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Would you just pray with me this morning? Would you allow God to continue to speak to you right now? Especially to those who find themselves in a challenge. You find yourself in the fire. 
And would you allow the Holy Spirit of God to quicken these words and would they empower you and would they surround you and would they embolden you and would they comfort you that though you walk through the flames, you will not be consumed. Be courageous. You speak to our hearts as individuals right now, Lord. Would we decide today that we follow you, no other options? Would faith override facts? Would we be people of faith even when our circumstances are not in our favor? Would you move us from believing in God to believing God? Move us from believing in you to believing you, to believe your word, to believe your promises, and then to base our lives accordingly. Would you root out of us anything that reflects being a Christian atheist? That we would not believe in you but live as if you do not exist. This week, would you empower us to face our lions? Would you empower us to stand boldly when life heats up? Would you stir in us faith and courage and a courageous faith and a courageous spirit that stands upon the rock of Christ? And I bless our church to do that. I pray for you in that reveal. And I ask that you would pray for me to do the same to stand firm. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So listen, some of you, you're in the flames. I'd love to have someone be able to pray for you and just to agree with you uh, in your faith to be stirred. Uh, Others of you, please make sure you sign up for our next class that's starting uh, next Sunday. And uh, we'll continue this series next week. Great series to invite some friends to. And I hope to see you guys back. God bless you. I will see you next week. Thank you.